Welcome to Mutuality Matters, gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. I'm Blake Dean here with my co-host Aaron Monez, and today we are setting aside our regularly scheduled programming to discuss some shocking and amazing current events. Also, shocking and amazing, Blake Dean, is that we are podcasting from the same room. Isn't that so weird? For the first time since 2019. Wow. Since 2019? Yes, brother, because COVID hit so early in 2020. You're right. You're so correct. It has been a long time. Wow. And while we love that Zoom has enabled us to keep this party rocking this long, it is so good to be here with you Cheers. in person, in the flesh. Fantastic. So I have a question for you in person. Fire away. And in the flesh. What have you been watching, reading, or listening to? Okay, I've got one for you today. I'm so excited. I cannot believe this has not come up in other Watch Reader Listens because this is actually a COVID favorite that started at the beginning of the pandemic and Mike and I listen to it weekly. So Annie F. Downs, who runs the wonderful podcast, well, podcast network, um, That Sounds Fun, which you should totally check out. And Eddie Coffolds, who runs another favorite podcast for IJM, uh, The New Activists. They are buddies. And as a result of being buddies, um, they have done this running show together um, on That Sounds Fun podcast uh, at the end of the year. And as it turns out, they've got a lot of chemistry together. Reminds me a lot of you and me, Blake Dean, and our fun podcast friendship. Um, and so... And real life friendship. And real life friendship, yes. Yeah, <laughs> just the podcast, friends. That's we all never talk about we anything never, but the podcast. Like, we just know real friendship. Um, yeah, and so they have this friendship, and Annie actually got exposed to COVID early on, so before all the shutdown happened. So she was one of the early quarantines. Now, she never got it, but she had to stay in her house for like two weeks and so she and Eddie got this idea to start podcasting every day of the quarantine. And then it evolved into a twice a week mm. show that they do called Annie and Eddie Keep Talking. And so every Tuesday and Friday, they post these podcasts and they literally just get on in the morning and riff for 30 minutes. That's so fun. It is so fun. And if you haven't it. checked it out, it's great because they're funny and they talk about everything under the sun. The titles of their um, shows are so interesting because like a normal conversation, it just goes where it goes. Sure. It just rambles on. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm recommending three of those podcasts. That sounds fun with Annie F. Downs, New Activist with Eddie Coffolds, and their Together podcast, Annie and Eddie Keep Talking. That is what we are listening to. What about you, Blake Dean? Okay, I'm going to answer for two because one we watch together so it counts for both of us yes. which is um eurovision <laughs> yes the the um what's the subtitle? the adventure of uh, fire saga oh my god fire saga it we had a double date night uh, like a about a week ago and we watched this bonkers movie with will ferrell and the fabulous rachel mcadams oh she makes the movie and i recommend it isn't that wild? It's a little bit of an acid trip. <laughs> it is. It is. But but I I will say this. I'm a skept I'm a I'm a Will Ferrell skeptic. Oh, me too. I can't Will stand Ferrell him skeptic. Most of the time. There's yeah, most of his movies I do a hard pass on. But Rachel McAdams and the fact that it is mostly filmed in Iceland or She's Scotland. So it's so funny. And the music, like the fact that Eurovision is like an actual thing. They have all these Eurovision cameos. Yeah. Like people you if you have no idea what we're talking about, you have to Google it. Very funny. Highly recommend. Yeah. And secondly, I'm reading a novel that you actually lent me um, called The Never Ending Story. I just mm -hmm. needed 
I needed a palate cleanser a little yeah. bit. I needed a break from like hard reads. And yeah. so it's a good, just like imaginative immersion. I'm not very far, but I'm really liking it. Oh yeah. Sweet listeners. If you didn't already know, Blake Dean is a voracious reader of all things that are heavy and important and justice oriented. And this is just a fun story that actually I think is like, for me, it is like a sermon illustration par excellence. I get it's like 50 sermon illustrations Love it. in this um, book. But there's also for us who lived through the eighties, a nostalgic sort of reference back to a, like pretty much a terribly done movie version uh with puppets and very local <laughs> no. special effects but back in the day it was like way out of its league like amazing um but yeah we watch it for nostalgia anyone who was born after 2000 should not watch this movie um sorry to my friend wendy for saying that you know who you are um but uh the book the book is fantastic i'm very excited i'm very much loving it and it's like a little it's like a little hug before i go to bed it's just like a little okay now go to sleep and I do. I And that warms my Sponsored heart. Sponsored by Melatonin. <laughs> yes. Um, but we're not here to talk about fantasy novels. We're here to talk about real life. Oh, and yeah. I'd love to start with what I have been really excited about, not just for the reason that you think that I'm really excited about, which is there is a non-denom church in Portland, Oregon yeah. called Imago Day Community. And um, I... Uh, there's a newsletter I subscribe to, and I noticed that they have recently switched their position from a soft complementarian position mm -hmm. to what they call mutualist. Um, and I'm excited about this for multiple reasons, but let's work on some definitions first. Yeah. What is a soft complementarian? Okay, so soft complementarianism is actually defined differently by different folks, but as it tends, it's folks that hold to a view of not just distinction between men and women as differences, but that there is some sort of God-ordained uh, hierarchy that is infused into those differences, and a soft complementarianism would be that those roles are just in a few places that are not 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 necessarily heavy-handed or hard-hitting so in imago day's case um women could preach which and be pastors and, i think yeah they and yeah. They, they have a video that we'll link in the show notes that can fill in any of the details here but um women could do a lot in their church but they could not be elders which that was their, where they drew the line which in their church is the highest position of governance yes, and authority can make decisions for the church policy decisions things like that um, and so we're going to link the video in the show notes and I really encourage you to watch it, not only because this is really exciting, mm -hmm. but also because I think it really tracks, um, a, what it takes to make a decision like this. There's yeah. so many spaces that all of us occupy that the Lord has brought us to this conclusion, but maybe not the spaces we occupy mm -hmm. to them. And I think it was such a beautiful example of a, such a faithful, good process of like they really lay out how they began asking questions why they began asking questions what they sought out t for answers to their questions the way that they involved women and men oh in that process really beautifully done and i think i was so humbled so obviously i was very excited about the position change because i think that the work of christ leads us there but i also was so excited just to hear such faithful goodness happening in the midst of this process. But also I was really excited to hear the word mutualist. 
because we've we've spoken really honestly about how we we use the phrases complementarian and egalitarian, but they're not really great. Well, they have they, they people struggle with them, and 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 this is something I, I definitely want to dive into, and I think it's important because like I don't want to I don't want to um, diminish Mm-mm. the word egalitarian because I know like uh, I use it. I use it to describe myself, but for many, it can get sticky because they associate it with um, androgyny, yeah. with um, with sort of a focus only on equality that diminishes the differences between men and women, sure. um, which it, it, it doesn't. Um, and, and so there's, but there's just, there's just some trickiness there, but I do love the word mutualist and, and the, that is such a, well, I mean, friends, you're listening to Mutuality Matters, so. Yeah, <laughs> we're into it, it. We're into it, yeah. But it is, it is really, I think it's important in sensitive processes like this that people define their terms, and I really appreciate Imago Day doing that. Yeah, and I I like the word mutualist, not to spend the whole time talking about terms, oh, yeah. but I like the word mutualist. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's the name of our podcast. But I like the word mutualist because I do think it hits on the heart of what of what we hope for. It's not just feminism infused or Christianity infused into feminism, right. but rather stemming from the work of Christ, we actually believe in that not only the equal dignity and worth, right. but actually that we need each other to work together. That actually we're better when men and women lead together and serve together and pray together and work together. Yeah. Um, and that that doesn't soften out the mystery of our distinctions, yeah. but rather enhances the image of God in every space. And they defined their position. Um, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. They define their position as mutualists, which means for them um, that men and women um, complement each other without hierarchy. Yeah. How does that hit you? Like, what do you think about that? Well, to me, that that rings so beautifully because there is so much in Scripture that points to the most essential hierarchy, which is creator to creation, mm. which is Christ as the head, Christ as the focus, that we are all, all like <laughs> the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we are all sinners, that we are all, there's, there's so much that we share in the sense that we all need Christ, we are all... Um, we all have a are as followers of Christ who are endowed with the you know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit um, that those distinctions are not really distinct and yet we do have this uh, difference as being men and women and, and women and like the cultural differences and there's diversity and unity uh, that's allowed there but ultimately when it comes to hierarchy it's Christ and us and so trying to suss that out artificially amongst ourselves really diminishes the power of our theology and the power of the gospel because it weakens our ability to say, hey, we're all just, you know, beggars looking for bread. Hey, we're all just, you know, gifted with grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like that's, that's a dependence on Christ. And we try to say, yes, but these folks may be a little more so, or these folks may be a little less so. I think it really weakens the foundations of the gospel and the foundations of our our um, our fundamental beliefs as mm. Christians, um, which I think has been a pretty significant uh, critique of complementarianism is the hierarchies, not the distinctions. Yeah, and I think um, to to be charitable, I think our complementarian friends have worked hard to minimize. I mean, even in Amago Day's right video, they yeah. say we thought that we were being 
Charitable. gracious and mm-hmm. kind and empowering yeah. the women within the structure that we thought was a part of the created order. We thought it's ordained by God. And yet we're noticing and we're learning um, that perhaps that um, that hierarchy is artificial. And I, I think it's also worthy to note, because as you're talking about like the hierarchy of Christ over creation, I can't help but hear like, the opposing arguments like, well, what about Ephesians five? It compares the husband and the wife to the hierarchy of Christ in the church. And I, I think I'm, I'm so compelled by Christ using his power, mm-hmm. um, in submission yeah. to those who were under him in every way. Yes. And I think, um, I think a, a conversation, I, and I'm happy that the conversation is shifting this way which is um, a sidebar. I actually don't think Head is talking that much about authority in that passage, but that's a whole other conversation. I just want to throw that out and be like, (laughs) I don't quite think Head is necessarily referring to authority. But I think when we are talking about power, whether it be um, like a power that we are given or a power that we have, whether that be, I mean, I'm thinking about like race conversations in the United States right now, right? white people have a different kind of social power than people of color. So whether it be power that we have in a position or in a role or whatever, or if it's power that we have inherently that even may not be out of goodness, but maybe out of brokenness. Right. It's like, I think Christ gives us a really good example of what it means to use our power for love of God and love of neighbor. And I think I'm compelled by that. And I think Imago Dei shows that this isn't just a, and I know you want to talk about this later, but shows that this isn't just a cultural reaction. Right, right. Or an appeasement, mm-hmm. um, but rather a, a faithful step forward in the coherence of scripture, yeah. um, in learning to read scripture um, in, um, in, in the context of all of scripture, yeah. um, which I think is a really compelling argument. That's honestly what got me, yeah. Here is if we isolate certain passages, it's really easy to go, okay, well, this is manageable and I can understand this. Yeah. But then my vision was complicated mm-hmm. by the Debras yeah. and the Mary Magdalene's yeah. and the women that Paul is thanking in Romans. And so my vision is being complicated yeah. by the witness of scripture. And so I think I love, I highly recommend watching their video. Um, and eventually we should get someone on to talk about Ephesians 5 and head. I'd love to talk about yes, that. Because if, cause here's, cause you're right, Blake Dean. Like Ephesians 5 cannot be divorced from Philippians 2, right? Yeah. So so the, the the understanding of like power is meant to be leveraged for the other um, helps Ephesians 5. But Ephesians 5 too as well is, um, is actually a, a passage that subverts that Correct. hierarchy Correct. instead of holding up because in our, and you know our friends Cynthia Westfall and others who so graciously help us with this help us see that like the power dynamic the hierarchy was already there in the ancient world that Paul was Correct. was talking to in the church and so he was basically taking a hierarchy and power structure that was already sanctioned by the culture and the government and saying actually men your headship actually looks like an upside down kingdom of loving for Christ and yeah. wives, you loving your husband looks like an upside down kingdom of self of mutual self sacrifice, which is why right above the, starting that passage is be submissive one to another. Yeah, and and it, that all ties together. So it actually doesn't it actually doesn't reinforce a hierarchy. It takes a hierarchy that is existing in the culture and it dismantles it, it with the with this 
scriptural thread of Philippians 2 of that of that and of the praxis of the gospel exactly um, and yeah. I think too and I, we can't I cannot emphasize this enough because I think this is something that the that that is actively happening within me is going if our conversation and if our reflection and if our longing about the mutual relationship between men and women husbands and wives mm-hmm. pastors whatever yeah. is not doesn't begin and end in the work of Christ, it's sand, right? We're standing right. on top mm-hmm. of sand that yes. is subject to change tomorrow. And I think I'm growing increasingly confident. I think I'm going through a different kind of shift within me, which is not a shift in quote unquote external position, but a shift in posture. Yeah. Right. Of going, mm, I love that. Of going, Lord, I want to be, I want to humbly walk forward in love and empowerment for my brothers and my sisters because of what you have done and because of what scripture then reflects the work of Christ doing. That's what I love about, we all go through our angsty Paul phases, but I am in like a, I'm like madly in love with Paul in certain places. There's some places that I'm going, I don't understand what's happening here, but there's other places that I just go. The thing that I love that he does is he says, because of Christ, because of who you are in Christ and because of what Christ has done and because of the gospel we proclaim, therefore, this is what relationships look like. Therefore, let's subvert those hierarchies and those powers. Therefore, and there's things that don't ring well in our ears Mm -hmm. because we're not sitting in that room with those people. But as we learn about what that room would bring to the table... Uh, and this and this is where the Portland Church really and and to, and to be fair, friends, we definitely want to give a shout out to CBE International Christians for Biblical Equality because their resources were used instrumentally in the process that Imago Day went through. So we we want to say good resources are also a huge part of this. Good scholarship is a huge part of this. Um, but something I loved about their process was that they start and they talk about it in the video, but they say it started with hearing about pain. Yeah that they thought they were doing something good, but they kept hearing these women saying, actually, this hurts, me. this hurts. And instead of being dismissive, instead of saying you're being divisive and silencing them, they actually said, okay, let's, let's consider this. That's where it started. Like, let's just consider this. People are telling us they're being hurt by something that we thought we were doing well. What should we do? And that was that was the beginning. And then when they began the process and the structure, they included women without putting the onus on them to educate and fix the problem. They they gave them a voice to the table. And our 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 situation with race can learn from these kind of processes. Mm-hmm. How we how we hear people's pain and how we consider ways that we move forward that include people but do not do additional harm and overburdening to Correct. them. Um, and and these are so this. We just really love, um, so that's that's all I really want to say about Portland because we we also have to like we got to talk about Saddleback. So so anything well, else? I, anything else about? Yeah, I would love to point out um, something that I um, am very grateful um, to is something that I think for those of us that like read a good bit about it and think about it, I think we understand and assume. But I want to point out really clearly is that when we're talking about women's ordination or women's ability to be in church authority because mm-hmm. of the work of Christ the conversation is different depending on what tradition you're in. Okay. So for this non for this non-denominational church, the highest leadership is elder, but women can preach. Whereas in an Anglican church, right. that's going to look really different and in some spaces like maybe 
certain Anglican churches or certain higher churches, the thing is not going to be preaching as much as the table. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's let's talk about this because this ties into sort of bridges to Saddleback. Because Saddleback is um, Rick Warren's church. It's a Southern Baptist church, and our good friend Tish Harrison Warren has been tweeting all of this week about women's ordination um whenever you are listening to this guys this is like the second week of may you need to go back and read some of these things because it is a it it is it is fabulous she doesn't talk about this much but she's taking an opportunity and one thing she brings up super important is that when we're talking about ordination we're talking about ordination which is vastly different depending on the tradition and the denomination you're coming from. To be honest, guys, until I got older and until I actually started investing in my local church denomination, I didn't have a clue yeah. about what the processes were, what the what the whole um, what ideology it behind... What does it mean to be ordained, yeah, period? Yeah, because I grew up Southern Baptist, you know? I mean, when my dad was ordained a deacon, uh, they went down front and laid hands. Yeah. I don't remember there being much else. Yeah. That was that was sort of what we did, and that's what we did for everyone. I'm a, right on for the Southern Baptist. That's right. the way it runs. That's yeah. how it goes. And I I'm a deacon in the Anglican Church. My process looked very different. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like months and I had to take a quiz and I had to see a psychologist and I had to get training about how to spot predators. Thank you, Jesus. We do this as part of our ordination process. Um I had to um I had to meet with the bishop. I had uh different sponsors. It was very involved and again not to compare for better or for worse but just saying that ultimately my office as a deacon my my being ordained into an order as deacon also looks very different Correct. from the position my father held in the southern baptist church but our processes were very different yeah. what we're being invited to is very different so when we say women's ordination air quotes yeah depending on where you land denominationally and traditionally it's particular oh, so it's for, all over the map so for imago day in portland right that's a decision they can make independently mm-hmm. and so they can change this they can change this position independently whereas for a particular anglican parish or i mean the catholic church is a whole other beast but for like a particular anglican parish or um, some other higher church that has kind of more ecclesial authority yeah that's a different conversation different that's not a conversation you like that's not a decision you can make independently yeah. as a parish. You're not just showing up at your local vestry meeting and saying, let's tackle this together. Totally. Yeah. And so I think, um, as we often do, I would recommend Icons of Christ by Will Witt. Absolutely. I think he does a really good job and engages both um, Protestant arguments mm-hmm. and Catholic arguments about women's um, ordination particularly. And I think that's something that I've learned really recently is I think I, because I am Protestant, I have great regard for the Catholic Church. I have great love for a a good bit of Catholic tradition. Um, But it it did not really occur to me or strike me until about a year ago that, oh, actually, like, our project here is really a Protestant project about women's ordination because the Catholic argument, the Catholic conversation is wildly different. Whole whole different Um, thing, yeah. And so I I think that's important to say as well, to be like, we can celebrate these moves, but if you're sitting in particular traditions yeah. that have like really beautiful convictions about um, ecclesial authority or ordination, this is going to be a different conversation depending yeah. on what congregation that you're sitting in. Um, and again, that's not to say one is right, one is wrong, or one is better, or one is worse. Yeah, we're not I have convictions about that. Sure. We all have convictions about but that. But thank you, Tish, for being someone who continues to bring that 
this so in front of us like that that is just a huge part of this conversation overall and just can't can't be ignored because we talk about it in such uh, general terms and it's anyways her her threads have been golden yes inspiring and yeah and wise and challenging um gosh yeah i just i I just want to put them all in the show notes and i recommend her um christianity today article um yes which i wish i knew the name of it's something to the effect of um i didn't get ordained to talk about women's ordination i got ordained to I got ordained so I could talk about Jesus, not the female pastor debate. And I think that's a really beautiful, yeah. um, wonderful, reflective work. And that's how a lot, that's how a lot of people, Fleming Rutledge comes to mind too, because she, she adamantly is just like, I'm, I'm not a priest to talk about being one of the first women ordained in my denomination. Um, and, and I, and I appreciate that, you know, Latasha Morrison, who does Be the Bridge in Atlanta, talks about this a little bit in, in terms of the race conversation where she's like, not all of your black friends are here to hold your hand and walk you through the race discussion. She's like, but I have a calling on my life mm. to be the person in the room who's going to do this. And and she's like, there are, there are those of us who feel particularly called yeah. to this work. And I think in gender theology, it's the same. You've got a 100%. lot of people, some wonderful people who are constantly contributing to these topics who they feel like this is their calling. This is what they're contributing to, but not every female, female priest or theologian and, and it's been sort of an occupational hazard totally. that for many of us, like, yeah, I just finished a doctorate that while it has ties to gender theology, actually is much more focused on intimate relationships related to emerging adults. Um, because my love of gender theology and my propensity for it was an occupational hazard. I had to yeah. school. I had to go to school on this. I had to read people. I had to get engaged. Yeah. I had to, I had to really do my homework not because I felt particularly passionate about gender theology when I was first, you know. But to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah. Yeah. Like really, um, like students that come in my office to talk about this. I'm happy to talk about it with them because, again, I've done my homework. But to be honest, I would love to talk about pretty much anything else. I would love which is ironic because we have which is ironic because we have this podcast <laughs> but you know and, and and a caveat here friends this podcast is important because these conversations need to have because there's still there's still so much we need to do there's still so much work we need to do as a church and so for me getting to do this podcast is a labor of love but if i had my druthers if i was able to just wave a magic wand and go back in time I get the the desire to want to be more than just for your pastoral, the skin I'm in. For your pastoral work, not simply to be surrounding women yes. and the yeah. intersection of ordination. Exactly. Like I I really grew to love gender theology when I started studying it. And I love being able to have these conversations. And I love the friendships like this one that mm. came out of that passion and projects like this. Um, but when, when Tish Harrison Warren talks about this, I get it. Like yeah. I get it. And, um, and I... I think too, she, she has, she talks about in the article feeling, um, I don't know that she uses this word, but almost feeling, um, pigeonholed by both, by, by two different sets of people. One being like, if she walks into a hipster coffee shop with her collar on, she gets a lot of thumbs up and yeah. she, or, and she's like, well, but I know those thumbs up aren't because of Jesus or preaching the gospel, but rather like some kind of like embodiment of like current feminism. And she mm-hmm. went, and as flattered as I feel, I'd rather be known in my pastoral office 
for preaching the gospel and right. the Christ that I serve. And I think that's such a great reminder to us too, for those of us that are to support and to love and to champion um, the women around us that are working ordination. That's so important. And yeah. I love doing that, but also not tokenizing their ordination either, but remembering, Oh, actually, why does it matter that people are ordained to be ministers of the gospel? Yeah, there was, a mini series, there was a mini series that came out um, years ago about John Adams. Um, yeah, that's really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a line from there I go back to all the time because I feel like in many ways, especially like this podcast and like what people like CBE are doing, like groups like CBE and, and the people who contribute to that are doing is very much for our time, is a time when we are where these things are happening, these conversations are happening. Portland, Imago Day, Saddleback, these shifts are happening. And uh, John Adams is talking with uh, some, some Frenchmen and, and he says, you know, I study war so that my sons mm. can study government and infrastructure so that their sons can study art and mm. music. And I think there are times when we just have to tackle what's in front of us and say, no, this is a good moment to contribute yeah. more good things to this conversation because of Christ. And I, I think too, something that I loved about our last season, not to be like weirdly self-congratulatory, <laughs> um, something I loved about our last season and I hope to continue to do is obviously to keep bringing to light arguments and good resources, but also like diversifying the conversation to go, actually, let's have a conversation about motherhood. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know what? Let's sit around and let's have a conversation with Emily McGowan about Advent. Yeah. Um, because it's relevant and it's attached, but it's also just good. soul just enriching. Good. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so it's not just let's stay on the battlefield, quote unquote. I don't think it's about, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it's not like that violent, but it's not just let's 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 kind of duke it out intellectually, but it's also like okay, so let's talk to really brilliant men and women about related branches of this conversation. Um, who knows how much of this is going to stay in? Um, <laughs> let's talk about Saddleback Church. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Saddleback. So we talked about Imago Day, which yeah. is kind of like an isolated yeah. um, example, a really beautiful one, but as far as we know, doesn't have a denominational affiliation, right. therefore can make kind of these choices independently. Mm -hmm. Saddleback Church is Rick Warren's church loaded, located in... California. California. Okay, so these are both West Coast churches, which... I find interesting, but have nothing further to say. Okay. <laughs> they're just, it's just, I don't know. I think there's something there, but I have no formed thoughts on that. But they're both West Coast churches. That was ominous. And I'm just going to say, I don't know that there's anything there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't but think there's anything my there. My little sociological mind is just like, mm, interesting enough. geographical um, consistencies. But um, but all this happened recently. And yeah, so Rick Warren, if you're not familiar with Rick Warren. <laughs> Remember when you were like, I think it's all happening on the West Coast. <laughs> Remember that? You remember that? One? Uh, Rick Warren. If you don't know who Rick Warren is, um, I got three words for you. Purpose driven life. Oh, that's why I know his name. Yes. <laughs> yes, Blake Dean. Rick Warren, who Saddleback Church um, is is one of those. It's kind of like Willow Creek up in Chicago. And yeah. like it's, it's a mega church that has done things that have ripple effects. Like I remember being in seminary and we studied the discipleship um, infrastructure of Saddleback Church. Mm. Like it's that, it's it's that sort of revela revolutionary and like, um, and and successful and, and meaningful that it's one of those churches that just gets a lot of play because they're doing a lot mm. of things 
right. And um, I've actually, well, while I'm not a purpose-driven life uh, reader, um, I actually really appreciate Rick Warren as a person. There's a lot just mm. in his character and his life, and I've always um, just really appreciated and respected him. Did not see this one coming, though. Absolutely did not see this one coming. As my minor tweet attested, I am shocked and amazed. Shocked and amazed. Um, especially because this is an SBC church. Mm. Now, fun fact, Blake Dean, for those who didn't know, and I didn't know until I attended a Southern Baptist seminary, that ultimately Southern Baptists as part of the free church tradition should operate very much like our friends up in Portland, the Imago mm -hmm. Day Church. So the free church tradition, short snippet, um, focuses on congregational polity, and local church autonomy, which means that the local church is the seat of all the decision making, the congregation votes and makes the decisions. It is, they have the seat of power. It's not some hierarchy from within and or hierarchy from without. So there's no bishops, there's no like elder, yeah. like congression. And like even the Southern Baptist Convention really started as more of just a gathering of these local church representatives. But even its creation, the Southern Baptist creation historically is because other Baptists in the North were saying, hey, here's something you're doing that we think is out of line. And they said, you can't tell us what to do. We are mm -hmm. part of the free church tradition and local church autonomy says that this is not Baptist. Now, that is the true. <laughs> history of Southern Baptists and the free church tradition, which is why this topic is of such interesting significance. And I would love to contribute to, because I agree with you, I think it's really interesting and I am a nerd for ecclesiology. <laughs> church structure, just, I could talk about it all day, yep. but I would love to, instead of talking about church structure, um, because we'll just do that and no that one else true. has to listen someone to stop that. Us. Someone stop us. Um, I would love to read some quotes about this departure from members of the SBC, like prominent members of the SBC. Please. This first is um, from Mike Stone, who is a candidate for the presidency of the SBC. Mm -hmm. um, so he called um, Saddleback's decision to ordain women, quote, a historic departure from biblical Baptist ecclesiology. Um, and he was quoted saying... Quote, do I think the ordination of women pastors is a basis for inquiry by the SBC Credentials Committee? Absolutely and unequivocally, yes. Stone said that Southern Baptist congregations do not have to agree with every point of the Baptist faith and message as long as they agree in general on doctrine. But according to him, women pastors is a different matter. A church that ordains women, quote, should be removed from our fellowship of churches if additional information does not mitigate this concern. So... In response to your reflections on ecclesiology and ex explorations of history, Mike Stone would say that actually there is some sort of ecclesial structure that can oust people from fellowship, um, apparently the SBC Credentials Committee. And this is unique can. to the SBC because other churches in the free church tradition, like... Um, Oh gosh, any number of Baptists, independent Baptists, free will Baptists, Pentecostal, um, Bible uh, denomination, Christian denomination, um, actually have history of women mm. in leadership because of the ecclesial structure of free church, yeah. uh, autonomy and cultural polity. And friends, just in case you're wondering why what I am saying sounds different from some of these responses, I just want to say, I just want to give a plug to where I learned this which is Liberty University, where I got my MDiv. <laughs> the, the good Baptists at Liberty University taught me 
the history of Baptists. I actually took a class, history of Baptists. I actually bet that was really fascinating. And also. I was, oh my gosh, it was. I learned so I much. I want to take a history, just as a sidebar, yeah. I want to take a class on every denomination. Yes. Well, even if you take one on one, you learn about all the others. Totally. It's really quite interesting and fascinating. So guys, check my facts on this. Check my facts on this because I have found the issue of women's ordination so interesting in the free church tradition because it is set up for the local church to make Correct. these determinations for themselves. Um, and in other churches that are in this free church tradition, which there are a lot, there are a lot of different denominations that fall into this category. Um, we have seen women in leadership yeah. positions because it is set up where the local church determines that for itself. Correct. And there are definitely pros and cons to that ecclesial oh, absolutely. structure. Yeah. But I think you're right in saying there is a, I think the thing that is interesting mm -hmm. is uh, you're right in saying like the free church tradition, which when we say that we're talking about mostly Baptist churches and non-denominational churches. Like, yeah, at this point, that's the highest. Those are the, those are the most mm -hmm. recognizable one. There's other like kind of one-off traditions. Yeah. Um, but in the free church, um, you're right that there's a sense of autonomy. There's a sense of self-governance. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, these prominent members of the SBC. I'm about to read some stuff from um, Al Moeller, who's president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And I think the thing that is very interesting about that is that seems to be the case until there is an egregious crossing mm -hmm. of doctrinal lines. And I think it is very interesting that um, women's ordination is one of those doctrinal lines for them. I mean, I'm quoting Al um Moeller, where he says Saddleback has taken actions that place itself in direct conflict with the stated doctrines of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, Moeller compares women preachers to a looming storm over the convention, blaming women pastors for the, quote, feminization of liberal Protestantism and decline of liberal churches. Quote, liberal theology is the kiss of death for any church or denomination. Little remains but social justice activism and deferred maintenance. Um, Moeller is also a candidate for the president of the SBC at the nomination's upcoming annual meeting. So I think it's interesting yeah. to kind of think about, and we're not trying to pick on anybody. This is just what's in the news right now. Right. Similar conversations can be had about particular, <laughs> um, segments of the Presbyterian church, the Methodist church, the right. Anglican yeah. church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of this is happening everywhere. This is just what's happening most primarily. And I think the reason that it gets so much traction is because of what, we're exploring, which is there's a sense of autonomy, but then the autonomy gets questioned when we cross certain doctrinal lines and um, women's ordination apparently is crossing that doctrinal line. I think um, it's important for us to learn because we are very denominationally sort of illiterate Completely. these days. Um, I think that's that's huge. I, I grew up um, in church my entire life and until I went to seminary, yeah. knew very little about a lot of this totally. stuff. And so this is not a critique um, of, of just sort of people's, uh, I think, confusion or lack of understanding about how these things work. But I think ultimately denominations have shaped theology. They have shaped... Um, the historical trajectory of this country and politics and the church. And so knowing things, knowing a little bit about our history, knowing totally. a little bit about the background, I think it's just helpful overall as we discern and, these things. And as we went and discussed earlier when talking about ordination, mm -hmm. 
we can't talk about women's ordination without talking about what is ordination in the first place. Right. And so when we're in places where we don't really understand what ordination means for our context, right. when we don't really understand that being a Presbyterian means particular things about ordination, about ecclesial structure, that being Anglican, that being Catholic, that being Lutheran, that being Baptist means certain things, yeah. we also lose the ability to actually have a conversation about what women's ordination would mean and look like yes. when we don't know what ordination looks like in the first place as exactly. well. Exactly. So I think too, for us to be able to have a conversation about women's ordination requires us to understand our tradition, where we come from, not to reject it, to lean all the way the heck into it and to say, this is where we are. What does scripture have to say to us about this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Blake, we are getting to the end of our time, but I would just like to wrap up with one final this thought. is so chaotic <laughs> it's so much Thanks but i for love listening. it I lo- yes patient listeners we love you thank you so much there's a statement that was said in the uh, video that the imago day church put out that i think is is just worth saying something about where they where they say you might think that we're doing this because it feels culturally relevant like we're just writing a cultural trend um uh basically saying that uh, the idea of women's ordination is sort of like a popping and trending, which is something that I I think a lot of people point to and say, look, this Mm -hmm. is a fad. You're just trying to be popular. You're just Mm -hmm. trying to be cool. You're just trying to be progressive. Um, And ultimately, and hopefully by now, listeners, as we've, we've really taken time to bring experts to the podcast and to point you to resources, um, that ultimately we would like to say that we do not believe that uh, women's place in the church and women's place in the gospel in the eyes of God and in participation with the gospel um, is a trendy or just culturally relevant idea, but actually a timeless one, an important one, and one that is worthy of our attention, not an a la carte item to our theology, but very central and important, not just for those of us who are women, but for the sake of the church. And this isn't just new and trendy because, first of all, talking about women's place has been around as long as feminism Mm -hmm. has been around, which has been a very long time. So um, and that that finger has been pointed for as long as feminism has been around, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're just you're just doing this because those feminists are talking about it. So it can't be just trendy and cultural for us if it has been around for so long. And two, it is a similar rebuttal that we gave when churches were siding with abolitionists about slavery. Just yeah. you're just doing this because this is the topic du jour, and is currently happening in critiques of uh, racial reconciliation yes. and racial justice. Yes, um, I also I find this to be I'm of two minds about this 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 um, concern about kind of cultural considerations. One part of me says in in the spirit of um, like James K. A. Smith, in the spirit of other. Um, writers who talk about cultural liturgies, I am convinced that our cultural place shapes and forms the way that we view each other in the world. So I think to be charitable to some of these critiques, critiques, I think that's a, that's a really good question. Right. And that's something that I want to always interrogate within me, right. To be like, what in me or what concerns or what priorities are ordered, um, to Christ or order to prosperity or wealth or the American dream or my political opinions yeah. or whatever. We do have to constantly assess that we because we are shaped constantly so because much. we are shaped and formed. And mm-hmm. I, I am fundamentally convinced of that yes. fact. 
Um, is it, oh, I'm going to butcher this quote. Is it Dallas Willard that says we're all being formed, just some of us, um, unintentionally and for the worst. Um, I think I butchered that quote, but Willard Willard says something around it. And if not, you're welcome. Um, and so I hear that concern and there are ways that I am concerned about certain doctrinal positions or certain, um, decentralizations of Christ are being, are being overtaken, um, by some really good yet maybe misordered concerns. Yes. So I, I, w- I want to say that clearly, which is, so in summary to say, there is a burden on mutualists, on egalitarians, to really make it clear, like Imago Day has, like I think CBE International has, like I think Tish Harrison Warren is, like I think Beth Allison Barr is, like I think really faithful voices are and have been, to make it really clear that it is because and only because of the work of Christ. Yeah that we get to this conclusion that actually this is only even peripheral to the center of our faith because Christ is the center of our faith. And it's because of the work of Christ, we work this out. Right. Well said. So I do want to be clear that I think, um, we do have a burden. And I think something that I I constantly that we've talked about that I want to assess on even our podcast is how do we articulate this in the most helpful, beautiful Christocentric manner? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there is a, there is a burden um, and a really glorious one, like Paul says, to know Christ, nothing but Christ and him crucified. However, I, I also want to shift the weight to the other foot because I think not to be utterly moderate, but I do think there's also validity on the side, which is I think we often can create straw men mm-hmm. from a fear of cultural influence. Yes. Um, and this is happening a lot right now, actually, with with racial injustice as well as gender theology. But I think, yeah, honestly, more so with, with yeah. critical race theory or woke culture, or even hearing in that Al Mohler quote about the concern of social justice activism, like this is like it's a threat, like somehow this is a bad thing. Right. Although there is much to say to that um, and much to deconstruct, I would just plea that whether we can follow the whole train of the outworking of some of these cultural movements i think most of them start with real pain and real hurt yes and so even the ones even certain conversations or movements or calls to action that maybe i go outside of gender theology that i go oh i actually can't jump all the way on that train Mm -hmm. but how do i listen to the pain and the hurt that's at the center of it right which tying it all back to imago de portland we see this as a real beautiful example Correct. of, of the, the, the balance between not reacting too hard Correct. to the pressures of a cultural time that is ultimately shaping us and we have to be attentive to, but also pushing back against the desire to overcompensate and Correct. push so far back against it that we don't seek the wisdom of Christ. And so I, I appreciate that from you, Blake Dean, and I think that's a reminder we have to constantly bring back to the table. Yeah, I think, too, it's, it is the only way forward for us mm. as Christians. Yeah. In a moment where everything is split down the middle yeah. in more, like, forefront ways and when we are being asked to love our neighbors as ourselves and we have the choice to say yes or no Mm -hmm. i think it is more important than ever to not lean into while i do think we need to be aware of our cultural formation but to be aware of that for the sake of being able to offer a better way rather than to dismantle some wizard of oz known as a cultural infestation in our churches but instead to go actually follow christ yeah. This is actually the better way. And see where he leads. And where he leads might be 
where Imago Day and Saddleback have found themselves. Correct. So, well, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this wild podcast episode, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. We appreciate you connecting us to other listeners, and we love your feedback. I'm Blake Dean with my co-host, Aaron Mones, where mutuality matters. Thanks for listening.